We're giving you every angle of Penn State Wisconsin. We broke the game down earlier this week uh, with a Wisconsin insider. We've had our own Greg Pickle, Pickle come on the show and talk about it. And now we're going to get something close to my heart, near and dear to me, the analytics side. And to do that, senior college analyst for PFF, Anthony Tresh, has come on the show today. Welcome, Anthony, to the BWI Daily Edition. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to this one. This is probably one of the more, like, even though they're both ranked teams, I think it's on being an underrated game in this loaded week one slate. I'm, there's a lot of storylines to hit in this one. I'm excited for it. Yeah, it, it, it's super exciting because it's such a big game so early. And two teams that I think are both similar enough that it should be, I think, a, a pretty close game, but also different enough that there's a bunch of storylines that you talked about. Uh, and one of your pieces this week that you talk, that you were breaking down some of the games and some of the, the money lines and things like that, one of them featured was Penn State versus Wisconsin, and you got right to the meat of it when it comes to the matchup that matters in this game, Graham Mertz versus the talented Penn State secondary. So I'm going to get right to the question. Do, from what you saw in 2020 with the up-and-down season, but knowing we've got to make projections, is Graham Mertz the guy? You know, I, I think I'm leaning toward that. I think we're going to see a much improved Graham Mertz than what we saw down the stretch last year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he's a very, a very interesting case study just because, you know, his debut against Illinois was one of the best single game performances we saw by a quarterback last year. I mean, no uncatchable passes. Um, you know, that one incomplete pass was a drop. Uh, you know, he looked the part there, but then reportedly suffered a shoulder injury the next game. And, you know, that kind of explained a good amount of, you know, some it could have explained some of the struggles down the stretch there. He had to uh, receive a back shot, um, you know, regularly throughout the season just to get through it. And so, you know, whether or not he can get back to that form that we saw in the debut against Illinois, you know, that's really the million-dollar question. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough tough test for him, too, because, like you said, this talented Penn State secondary, uh, safety Jaquan Brisker, one of the best defensive backs in college football, so it's not going to be easy for him either. Yeah, it, and it, it, you have to put the caveat in there, too. It was Illinois, and, and we all saw what Illinois was last year. So it it is a really fascinating picture of a guy who's shown the most promise at Wisconsin for a team that has historically been talented at pretty much every position other than quarterback throughout their, their tenure over the last 10, 15 years in the Big Ten. So finding that guy has been really the, the challenge for that team. And to to get kind of a murky picture because of the COVID, because of the injury, because of losing his top receivers last year throughout the season, uh, it, it just is so confusing. And it's a small sample size, too. And there's a lot of those guys in this game. But from, from the analytic perspective, from the big-time throw perspective, what did Mertz do last year? And, and how much of that do you take into account when you're looking at what he can do this year? Yeah, and you know, it just goes back to kind of what I was saying just a minute ago. Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to kind of bake that all in because of all the, like you were saying too, the factors, the unknown factors of how much like each aspect and thing that went wrong weighed into the output. Um, you know, and I think I always go back, you know, even though it was Illinois, he still looked phenomenal in that one game to the point where I think that his ceiling is much higher than, you know, kind of the broader consensus. You know, he was not, you know, an analytical darling at all after that game. I mean, he was yeah. clearly a different player. Um, you know, it, there were points in that second game where he, you know, he kind of looked like his Illinois form. Um, but, you know, after that hit happened, you know, he just kind of went downhill the rest of the year. He graded out fairly low, um, you know, the rest of the season. So, you know, that's kind of the the big thing with, with, with Wisconsin is if we can kind of see that, you know, the arm talent that he flashed early on in that accuracy 
um, you know, going on a consistent basis. I mean, this is going to be a really dangerous Wisconsin team. It's just a really big if. So, you know, from a grading perspective, it wasn't all all that great throughout the whole course and duration of the season. Um, but, you know, we've, we saw spurts of it. And, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of project that right now. Just like what I was saying, yeah, there's so many factors and things that went wrong. It's just kind of all about the weight of each thing. We don't really quite know at this moment in time. But kind of comparing them to someone like, you know, say Sean Clifford, right, you know, Penn State's right. quarterback. We, we have a good sample of Sean Clifford throughout his career. And we kind of know what he is, what kind of player he is. Um, you know, me you were mentioning the big time throw perspective, you know, he hasn't quite, he's never been that kind of guy, you know, last year, I'm, um, you know, ranked near the bottom of the power five and big time throw percentage. And then from a turnover worthy play percentage, put the ball in harm's way on a consistent basis. And his downfield accuracy was pretty shoddy. Um, you know, we, we've seen enough from him to kind of know that with Graham Mertz, we still need to see a little bit more before we can kind of get comfortable with the kind of, you know, the long-term projected projection for him throughout his career at Wisconsin. And and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up that big time throw percentage, because that is something if you go to premium stats, 2.0 PFF.com, we're here with Anthony Tresh of PFF looking at the data about these quarterbacks and, and this, this matchup between a guy who is in his fifth year at Penn state and a guy who is starting his second year as a starter at Wisconsin. And you feel like the guy from Wisconsin has the upper hand. You feel like Graham Mertz is, is the, is the better prospect. He's the guy that has the, the higher ceiling, everything Anthony just said. Um, when it comes to Sean Clifford, though, and the the quality of downfield passes that he had versus, you know, in previous years, does that come into factor when you when you look at the big time throw percentage and and the opportunities to throw the ball down the field into a better situation? Do guys develop? I guess do guys develop over time that big time throw percentage, or once that baseline is established, is that kind of who a guy is? Yeah, I think it's very unique. You know, it depends on the very situation, right? It depends on the scheme they're in, you know, you know the, the receivers they have around them, you know, what kind of, you know, arm talent they actually have at their disposal. Um, you know, for, for example, you know, in Wisconsin's case, that, um, you know, their former quarterback, Jack Cohn, now the quarterback at Notre Dame, he's, I think he's always been a guy that, you know, he's not going to produce those exciting throws down the field, right? He's not going to lead to right. an explosive passing offense just because that he is a very, he struggles with the vertical ball very much so um but you know sometimes it, it just kind of depending on you know the system you're in you have some of these offenses you're going to have a low average depth of target um you know the mississippi state for example you know mike leach's air raid they, they're just going to have you know just need that underneath accuracy that's the big thing there um you know with someone like sean clifford i i think this is more of the situation where this is just kind of the type of player he is and type of passer he is and the situation he's in doesn't help matters any really either um you know i'm kind of in you know intrigued to see what kind of success this penn state receiving unit has um you know obviously Jahan dotson one of the best wide receivers in the big 10 conference um you know he's he is a little bit limited than you know some of the other guys athletically um but you know his ball skills they're certainly there productive player last year and i think he's going to continue to be that high floor type of player for sean clifford it's just you know whether or not the rest of the group around him can continue to be, you know, get up to that kind of level and kind of help elevate that offense. But, you know, if that doesn't really happen, then we're not going to really see a, a very explosive passing offense with Penn State. Yeah, and, and the receivers certainly outside of Parker Washington, who was a, a guy who flashed as a true freshman, played last year in Kirk Shiraka's offense, who's now moved on from Penn State, and Jahan Dotson. Outside of those two, it's really a grab bag of guys that have good pedigrees from recruiting, but we haven't seen anything from truly on the football field. 
Uh, and that's where I, I'm curious as to your thoughts on Mike Yurcich's offense from, uh, you know, Oklahoma State with Mason Rudolph and James Washington to last year with Sam Ellinger at Texas. He's he's produced downfield throws and opportunities for his quarterbacks at a pretty high clip. So he's an aggressive guy that likes to throw the ball down the field. How much can that system help a quarterback who is more limited or has issues with that like Ellinger you know I, I don't think any of us would have considered him an elite passer of the football last year but performed admirably and it, do you see a similarity to what Clifford might be able to do in this Yersich offense yeah I mean it's definitely interesting and I think that's kind of where my concerns lie with this Penn State offense right yeah. just because you know it, not to like beat a dead horse but you know I, I'm just not too confident Sean Clifford being able to produce those kind of throws you know Sam Ellinger I think you know like you said he wasn't the most talented passer um, but he could get the job done um, with Sean right. Clifford I'm not so sure he can kind of even get to that kind of level and, and that's what I'm really concerned about you know with this team but you know hopefully he proves me wrong or, and you know at the end of the day we can kind of see you know, him have some success in this type of offense. But, you know, given what we've seen thus far, um, I just I'm not too confident in him being able to do so. Yeah, and that's that's going to be a big determining factor for this year, not just in this game against Wisconsin, which is bringing back four seniors or COVID seniors with six years of playing experience. So it's going to be a very tough test on Saturday. Uh, but another guy who has a, a great pedigree, and you mentioned him earlier, Jaquan Brisker, what is it that he does that made him a PFF All-American last year? And what do you like about his game? Yeah, I mean, he's just an all-around fantastic safety. I mean, the draft community absolutely loves him, and it's understandably so. I mean, he's graded out exceptionally well um, over the last couple of years. 85.0-plus uh, grades against the run and in coverage over the last couple of seasons collectively. Um, you know, no other Power 5 safety has done so. I mean, his tackling is some of the best tackling that we've really ever seen in the PFF college era. It's actually the second best rate what he had last year, um, just a 1.7% missed tackle rate. So he, he's just the full package, right? He, he's just everything that you want a reliable body on the back in there. Um, you know, he's just, and that just kind of is an all encompassing what Penn State really needs on that defense. And he's going to be, you know, I, I would expect him to be, you know, a type of first team all American type of candidate um, this upcoming season too, especially with the, the talent he has around him as well. You know, even that defensive line, I was very impressed with what they were able to do, you know, going into the transfer portal and getting some really, you know, proven um, bodies there. Um, you know, even though you lose guys like Shaka Tony and Odafe Owe, um, you know, that's still going to be a very talented pass rush unit. And when you have someone like Jaquan Brisker, um, you know, with the defensive backs there, just an all around great player, you know, I think that makes this defense really exciting and it's going to make it tough on Graham Mertz in week one. And it's a it's a deep secondary too. picking up a couple guys that were a little bit under the radar. Johnny Dixon, a former high four star corner. They bring in A.J. Litton as well. And uh, Kalen King has been impressing as a true freshman high four star corner. So the cornerback position is stocked and deep and Brisker is in the center of that and is poised for a, a big season. Uh, and I think I know kind of based on what we've talked about already. Uh, your opinion on this, but I do want to ask you, you, you had a bounce back players for 2021 article a little bit earlier this week. And we talked already about Sean Clifford, but as a team, do you think Penn state can bounce back from 2020? Yeah, I, I just, I really don't think they can. And, you know, it's going to make things interesting, you know, with James Franklin there. It, I mean, 
you know, looking at their first, you know, six games or so, they have some really tough ones. Of course, they have, you know, Villanova, that's going to be an easy win for them. But, you know, I wouldn't sleep on, you know, teams like Wisconsin or Ball State or even Auburn, for example, you know, they, even though Ball State's a group of five team, you know, they're a very talented group of five team, you know, very good offense return all their top production. Auburn, you know, Bo Nix, not the best quarterback, shaky at wide receiver, but that secondary is one of the best secondaries in college football. And then after that Nova game, you get Indiana and Iowa. And again, two really tough defenses. Um, you know, I, and that, I think that we're going to see a pretty inefficient passing offense, um, you know, kind of going back to what we've, I, I've been saying this entire time. I think that's a really big concern. So I don't think that we're going to see, you know, a pretty significant bounce back. You know, I, I would not be surprised, um, you know, if they do finish, you know, just a, you know, flat 500 for the regular season. And I will be, you know, absolutely, I would be kind of surprised, but I wouldn't be too surprised if it's some, something around five and seven. Um, ho again, hopefully they prove me wrong. Uh, there's definitely, like you said, you know, the recruiting pedigree is there. there the body is in the, the raw potential. It, it's all there. It's just all about player development. Um, you know, but given what we've seen thus far, you know, it's going to be, hey, I'm a little concerned with this Penn State team. But again, hopefully they prove me wrong. And it's going to be a tough test for them, you know, over those first, you know, six and even eight weeks there, including that Ohio State game. So going off of that, small sample size players uh, that we've seen good things from in in little spurts. Juice Scruggs at right guard uh, played well down the stretch for Penn State, kind of opened eyes for Penn State football fans. Caden Wallace, another guy with a good pedigree, is going to start at right tackle. So you've got those two guys on the right side with limited experience. Curtis Jacobs, another guy who's going to slip into that Sam linebacker role and, and looked very good in small spurts. How do you handle small sample sizes from players like that and what do you take away from those those small samples from one year to the next yeah i mean it's definitely unique you know case by case scenario you know mm -hmm. it's all about it, position by position even too because you know if they're an offensive lineman you know it's you know what kind of opportunities do they see within that small sample right were they pretty protected within the scheme they were they were in or they have one of those you know a lot of those true pass set opportunities where you saw the one-on-ones and isolated them because, you know, a small sample size player on the offensive line, you know, realistically, you, you could see someone that played maybe, you know, you know, for example, if someone played a third of a season versus comparing them to someone that played for a full season, they could have the same amount of true pass set opportunities depending on the offense they're in. So yeah. it's definitely case by case and even opponent by opponent too, um, just because there, there's such a stark difference in play at the power five level compared to the group of five level. Um, you know, and so you want to kind of weigh those power five games a little bit more. It's not incorporated into it's not baked into the PFF grades that you'll see on a weekly basis um, you know, this upcoming season. Um, but it is something to consider when you see some of these teams go up against some some of the weaker competition, um, you know, in the non-conference portion of their schedule. So it's definitely unique, you know, scenario by scenario and also the position that they play, um, you know, how to kind of weigh that, you know, the opportunities and the reps that they actually got within that small sample. Yeah, and to your point, Caden Wallace, despite having almost 500 snaps under his belt, less than 100 true pass sets. So that's going to be, there's always a Chase Young, there's always an Aiden Hutchinson or a Rashawn Gary out there in the Big Ten East. So he's going to be tested this year. And, and in this game in particular, the, the outside linebackers for Wisconsin uh, are, are shaping up to be very talented. From that side, from their defense and their defensive front, what, what guys are you keying on looking at them in this game? Yeah, so, I mean, for Wisconsin on defense, I mean, there's definitely a lot of, you know, talented players there. Um, you know, they definitely did lose some people, but, you know, Keanu Benton, the nose tackle, I, I think he has a chance to be a really special player. He's He's been a very in inconsistent player 
but he does have, you know, even NFL potential. There's no doubt about that. Their off-ball linebackers are some of the best in the, in the, in the entire country as well. Um, Jack Sansborn, very good player. Um, you pair him with Leo Chanel, some of the best blitzing players at the position. I mean, Wisconsin's definitely going to utilize that. There's no doubt about that. They're going to be sending, you know, having some interesting blitz packages for Sean Clifford to pick up. Um, that's something I'm definitely keying in on on this one. Um, so those are really like the three defensive players that I'm really looking forward to watching there. And in, you know, like I was saying, it's they're going to put the pressure on Sean Clifford. They they're definitely will. They're going to get interesting with the way they do that. So if you want to, you can give us a quick prediction here. I know the over under was at 50. Uh, what do you have there on the point total? And then what's your prediction for the game? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely 50 is definitely tough here. I would probably lean on the underside that might be something to stay away from um but for the game i think it's probably a wisconsin victory um you know for all the reasons that i've kind of talked about with you know sean clifford and the offense that they're in and also this wisconsin defense i think that we're probably going to see him you know try to get creative with his legs he's going to have to i think um you know it's going to be i think it's going to be a very interesting one but i'm leaning a little bit more on the wisconsin side um just because even though there is plenty of question marks with graham Mertz, we still don't know what kind of quarterback he is there's that slimmer of chance in that ceiling that we've seen before that yeah. I think that he could possibly recoup in that unknown with the, you know, the missing some time with COVID last year. And of course the injury that I talked about earlier. So I think given that unknown, that nature, I'd be more willing to pick Wisconsin here, but you know, I think it will, I think it will be a close one, at least for the first few quarters. So I want to get to some, some non Penn state, Wisconsin things. Cause there's some interesting stuff in your bold takes from, I think it was, last week at pff.com so if you want to read anything from anthony pff.com uh and you can check out what he does there and at pff anthony on twitter your bold predictions uh this is I'll, I'll i'll we mentioned the receiver position in the big 10 the ohio state receiving room to you is yeah it's definitely i think the best I think when it's all said and done, we'll be saying this group's better than what we saw with Alabama in 2019. And wow. I think we're, I think we're all on the same page. That was the best receiving room, obviously four first round players. You know, you look at guys like Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Chris Olave could have came out this past season, possibly would have been a first round talent. He would have been a first round prospect in our eyes here at PFF. Um, decided to come back. Those two are some of the best route runners in the game. They're ranked number one and number two in our returning wide receiver rankings. And then you have a bunch of just, it's so, so much potential within that receiving room, too. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, you know, he flashed. He has a short area quicks and the ball skills there. Um, against Nebraska, had one of the best touchdown grabs of the entire season. Um, only ran, you know, I think it was under 100 routes on the year. But he's going to be on the field there with Olave and Wilson. And I think that trio is going to put up incredible numbers. And then you have, you know, a, a second unit there with two of the top 10 prospects at the position in the last decade. And then you also have Marvin Harrison's son, Marvin Harrison Jr., um, you know, so I think there's so much potential within that receiving room. I think at least four of those guys, you know, out of that six, or we've already seen two of them do it. I think the third, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think he's on his way to be there. I think he has the potential to be even better than Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And if you get one of those other uh, other three in the second unit, um, you know, I think you're putting them on that same that, that same you know stratosphere with the Alabama 2019 group. And and it's the early scouting report for Penn State fans to know that it, it's not going to get any easier with just because it's a freshman quarterback doesn't mean that they're not loaded at other positions at Ohio State. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Spencer Rattler, according to you, your bold take, Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler will. 
yeah, I think he's going to win the Heisman and lead Oklahoma to their first national championship. Um, you know, they Oklahoma, they've always been a contender. There's no doubt about that. You know, for the seven years of the CFP, they've been there. They haven't won a, a semifinal game yet. I think they're going to do that with Spencer Rattler. I think he's the, the clear-cut best returning college quarterback. I mean, there's definitely some uh, – there were some undisciplined moments that he had in his redshirt freshman campaign last year, um, you know, leading that team. But it was his first year, underclassman leading the offense. And those undisciplined moments were mostly early on in the season and got cleaned up as the year progressed. Um, you know, what he can do out of structure, his playmaking, playmaking ability, it's on the same level, even his arm talent, it's on the same level as Patrick Mahomes. He reminds me a lot of Patrick Mahomes. At, at Texas Tech, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, the immediate impact MVP player when he gets to the NFL. Um, but, you know, what he can do out of the pocket is truly special. Some of the arm angles he has, you know, that, that quick release, um, he's just a very rare talent. If he can just improve his footwork in the pocket and, you know, stop, you know, be so willing to take sacks, you know, I, I really do think that that would take him from, you know, the already elite player to is to probably, you know, in the conversation for one of the highest graded players we've ever seen at the position of PFF college era. And you look at the, the talent that's surrounding him in the wide receiver room, um, Marvin Mims, true freshman last year, one of the top 10 returning wide receivers in all of college football. Um, you know, you also have Jaden Haswell, a lot of potential there. The defense, too. The secondary, I mean, we, we kind of come to expect with Oklahoma over the years that, you know, they're not going to have a, a secondary that's considered one of the best in college football. And that's the case again this year. I think that kind of group is looking like an average one. But you look at the pass rush they have. I think that's on the same level as Ohio State. Though Those two, I think, are going to be neck and neck for the best pass rush in college football. And, you know, finding, you know, over the offseason, I kind of dug into this because, I, like I was talking about earlier, it's there's a very stark difference between Power 5 and Group of 5 level, mm -hmm. right? I, I think that they should even be completely separated um, just because of the talent and the athleticism. It's so much different, the, the disparity there. Um, and you look at, you know, pass rush versus coverage. Some of the athletes at the Power 5 level along the defensive line, they, you know, they're so gifted. You know, that can make that portion, that facet, very valuable. I mean, it's a lot more, it explains more in a given pass play, the impact of the pass rush has at the Power 5 level than it does in the NFL. I mean, it's near equal with the coverage unit. So I think that group is so special that the defense is going to be, you know, a, a pretty decent one. And when you have that with one one of, if not, I would say at this moment in time, easily the, the best offense in college football, it's hard not to roll with them. So, you know, I'm very high on Spencer Rattler. I think, you know, he's going to get the job done for him this year. PFF Anthony, Anthony Tresh, uh, joining the BWI Daily Edition, and he's saying, buckle up, Penn State fans. It's going to be a bumpy ride this season. Thank you for coming on. Give us your insight into the data and the analysis on the Penn State football team. Of course. Thank you for having me on. This is the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We will be back again tomorrow.